Sanctions have been imposed on 82 individuals and 29 companies. German payment provider Wirecard went bankrupt on Russia has launched an unprecedented disinformation campaign against Billions of dollars have been found in various offshore accounts. Welcome to Integrity Insights, the Berlin Risk Podcast. Hello and welcome everyone to the second episode of the Integrity Insights Podcast, in which we are going to delve into a very exciting topic that we have actually covered quite extensively recently in our article titled The Rise of Disinformation in OSINT. It's a, it's a topic that is a, a very can be very general, but we have actually been focusing on a, uh, I think, relatively underexplored uh, subset of disinformation, usually referred to as uh, disinformation for hire or disinformation as a service, whereby malicious actors or companies are selling services um, such as reputation promotion or reputation destruction, uh, which uh, we think are type of activities that professionals in our field should be definitely familiar with. And since we have been seeing these type of uh, operations coming out of the former Soviet Union, specifically from countries such as Russia or Ukraine, we thought it would be a good idea to discuss this with uh, my colleague and a managing partner at Berlin Risk, Vladat Kach, who has a lot of experience with uh, not just this region specifically, but also with these type of investigations more broadly. So uh, th- this should be a very interesting, uh, very exciting conversation, which I'm personally really looking forward to. And so without further ado, I bring you Vladat Kach. Hi, Vlada. Thanks for joining me today. Hello, Philip. Um, so before we jump into today's topic, could you please tell us a little bit about your background? My background is in journalism. I graduated from the journalist department of uh, Kiev University. And um, I worked for three years for BBC, BBC World Service um, in London, the Ukrainian service. And then a couple of years for a magazine that is a part of Financial Times business. It's called Investors Chronicle in London. And um, yeah, education-wise, it's international security, so it's not. It wasn't very related to my last mm-hmm. job in, uh, as an equity reporter. Uh, and from about 2004-2005, I started working uh, for the due diligence um, uh, sector. So, in other words, you have almost 20 years of experience in due diligence. Indeed. Wow. <laughs> well, that is great, as it means that you are perfectly positioned to help me tackle today's topic, which. Uh, is disinformation. And as I outlined in the intro to this episode, we are interested in this uh, subset of disinformation known as disinformation as a service. And maybe, Vlada, we could start with uh, discussing this this question of geography. Why do you think that uh, so many companies or actors active in this field are running their operations outside of the the post-Soviet region? As more more than one reason, of course. Um, after the collapse of communism and the rise of the oligarch economy in the 1990s during the uh, wave of privatizations in these countries, uh, many of these oligarchs uh, is acquired or founded media to advance their interests uh, in politics, uh, but also in order to destroy competition. Um, I'm not saying all media and all journalists were up for sale, of course, but many people working in such publications uh, were used to writing 
so-called contracted articles, i.e. paid for. And paid for, I mean, not as a fee for an article, but actually paid for by people who ordered them. Um, and these articles uh, often contain the so-called compromat or information that could compromise the subject. And some publications, especially internet-based and especially in recent years, uh, made, their, uh, ma- made it their business model. Is it to publish articles for money? was it positive or negative, or to publish unsolicited articles in order to get paid and then to pull them off. It's quite cynical, actually. And Vlada, would you say that this, what you've just described, uh, applies specifically to Ukraine or also to other countries in the region? I think we see this type of journalism uh, still persistent. Uh, but I, what I cannot say is how many of these companies that you are talking about uh, offering this type of services um, to to make or break some of these reputations. I, ca- I cannot really tell how spread they are in Central Asia. I would think Russia and Ukraine would be the two main suppliers. Okay, so I understood why we are seeing these practices in in countries like Ukraine or or Russia that it has these deep uh, historic historical reasons. But I mean, as you know, we have been seeing these activities uh, from these actors uh, all across the globe. I mean, I mean, they are running these operations from these countries, but they are really conducting this business globally. So how how do you how do you view view that development? Well, first the caveat, yeah, not all the media are like this. We're talking about a particular segment, yeah. There are also high-class, uh, uncorrupted and very courageous journalists in Russia and Ukraine. So let's not attain everyone with that. But uh, for those who do work in this field, and they're not necessarily journalists, they could be PR people or other type of, of, of professionals, let's put it this way. Um, obviously, the, the reason is money. Uh, you work with a market that can pay. So um, if there are customers uh, with money and they are based outside of Ukraine and Russia because there is perhaps more money outside of Ukraine and Russia in some ways, uh, then that's where they would be targeting their their services too. Um, There is a limit to how much you can earn um, in, in, in certain countries. So yeah, international expansion is always the way to go. And just going back for a second to this topic of uh, of this very difficult media terrain in the in the uh, in the post-Soviet world, where you know there's so many different interests, and uh, the the media work in a way that it's it's just it's just very difficult to find reliable information. And 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 I wonder, you know, you have spent you have spent a lot of time researching, working on due diligence assignments in in the region. How do you? You know, how do you navigate navigate a media landscape like this? When you're looking at the internet outlets, you look at the websites, how long have they been in existence? Um, does this website have a history of such operations? Um, some sites are known to specialize in that type of thing, even if they're actually um, long uh, in existence. Um, is there a known affiliation to a particular uh, business or political group? Um is the ownership of the website is transparent? Where is it based? Because some of the uh, of these websites, for example, uh, they would be nominally based in Ukraine, but if you try to look at where they're registered, there would be some kind of offshore jurisdiction and you would never know who's behind. Um, do the articles published there contain very wild allegations? Uh, are they supported by photographs and documents that could be either doctored 
are all leaked by certain interested parties, the information that you wouldn't just define in the public domain, even if you're a very good uh, OSINT investigator. You have to be very careful when you see information that seems um, out of this world, because if it seems like it, it is more often than not, is not true. Um, and also, you look at other sort of very simple markers, such as the author, a no-name article, or an article whose author has no previous record, or whose previous record is only consistent of this type of uh, publications, you know, this type of scandals, revelations, um, would be um, a red light. Um, so when you look at, at, at the kind of constellation of all these factors together, obviously, ideally coupled with the knowledge of the region so that you actually understand the backgrounds, the politics, the affiliation and associations, um, it is, I, I don't say it's easy to tell what is fake and what is not, but it's easier to distinguish um, um, the the truth from from the untruths. Uh, but of course, technological advancement brings new challenges, and some fakes look really convincing. And uh, you can find articles that, that or reports, whatever, that look um, very um, um, real, uh, but turned out to be uh, very unreal. Yeah, I think this is a very important point that you are making, Vlada, and I and I just wanted to add that this is not, this is not just uh, uh, you know specific to the post-Soviet space. We are we, we are seeing this more and more really globally uh, in whether it's in the U.S. or in Europe or in other parts of the world. We are seeing more of these these very specifically almost micro-targeted disinformation operations where. Uh, we see, uh, you know, news websites that are created specifically for a purpose to publish d- articles damaging to someone's reputation or promotion of, of someone's reputation. And usually those articles are then shared via social media accounts that are also specifically created for uh, for this purpose. And they are all part of this one uh, disinformation operation. It's, it's like a package that the, the, these these uh, these uh, these operators sell for for as little as a couple of hundreds of dollars on the, on the dark web and um, it's 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 really important it's a really important topic for due diligence investigators that they need to be aware of uh, of, of of these of these tactics and and how to uh, how to spot uh, disinformation uh, like that but I, what i wanted to say is that you know when because my background is in journalism like yours, um, the rule that we had long time ago in the BBC was that any piece of information had to come from at least two sources. I have no doubt they have the same rule now, probably more. And I think in our work, it's even more important that you base your research on more than one, two, or in our case, many more sources. Um, any research we do, um, Ideally, you would support uh, public domain research resource inquiries, but if you that is talking to people who know, but also simply uh, public domain research on its own, um, you have to check as many uh, sources as possible. You have to make sure that the information is consistent. Mm, you also have to make sure the sources you use are not simply reprinting one another, because what tends to happen is uh, this 
piece of misinformation uh, or disinformation depends on the context um, is often it originates on one website but then it is disseminated reprinted on other websites and sometimes it's done copy paste and sometimes it's slightly modified to look like it's a different information but very often it's not so you have to be able to tell that there is no other source sometimes you will have five five different websites but this is the same source um, and you have to make sure that your sources come from different domains so to speak when i say domains i mean not just media but if we're talking about uh, some sort of investigation, quite often you can find uh, legal records, uh, at least in Ukraine, for example, and in Russia as well, I think used to be, uh, where you can look up if a certain investigation, there is a trace of certain investigation. Some information will be blank blanked out. There may not be all information available, but you can find um, some records that would confirm that what you are seeing um, is based in reality. Um, so you would look at different sources at the same time. You would look at media, you would look at legal databases, you would look at corporate databases. Uh, ideally, you would supplement it with uh, um, human source inquiries. Um, and only after such an encompassing research, um, you can be relatively secure <laughs> that the information you are seeing and therefore reporting to the client in our case um, is correct. Okay, so checking with multiple sources, that sounds like a very reasonable advice. But uh, let me challenge you with this. What and, and this is a real-life example because we have been seeing this, that some of these companies even offer for a small fee to file a criminal complaint against a, an individual or a company. So then if you check the article against a legal database, then you will even find a criminal complaint that would, you know, quote-unquote, confirm the story in the fake media, uh, which uh, this is, this I personally found very disturbing. And yeah, I wonder how, how would you then deal with that? Um, I think knowledge of context and knowledge of the jurisdiction you're working in is very important. For example, in Ukraine, you really can file a criminal complaint and there would be then some record of, in some cases, there would be an investigation open. But you have to see, is it just open, filed and open, and then nothing happens and possibly closed. Yeah, because nobody reports when it's closed. Uh, articles tend to report when it's open. But you can quite often see that there was no activity at all or there was actually a formal closure, it's just not reported. So... Understanding how easy it is to file this complaint in certain jurisdiction is very important to know how it works, that anyone can file a complaint about the alleged, not about an individual, but, but alleged fact of offense. And then the authorities are supposed to act and, and, and see if, if, if there was an offense or no offense. So, yeah, understanding of the context, understanding of the um, legal environment, court environment, uh, well, independence of courts, you know, of court system. This is also why, of course, you know, in certain jurisdictions, uh, you tend to mistrust even legal records. This is why you have to try and, and, and get it from as many sources as possible. Intuition helps. I find the experience, knowledge, but also intuition. When you look at it for many years, you develop a sixth sense and you feel when something smells fishy. 
I don't even know how else to explain it. Um, and you dig and dig and dig as much as you can. This is not to say that you can always get to the bottom of things. It is not always possible, especially when you are actually, uh, you are operating in with legal constraints. You cannot hack websites. You, as an investigator, cannot use illegal means. And you're working with people who are using illegal means <laughs> or, let's say, you know, unlawful, corrupt tools. Um, it's a challenge. It's a challenge. And you just work and check and use your knowledge and your intuition. And uh, you come up with conclusions uh, and caveats as well. <laughs> Thank you, Vlada. Those are some great insights. Uh, let me just ask you one last thing before I let you go. Um, I was wondering, I mean, you mentioned at the beginning of this interview that you have almost two decades of experience in, in this field of um, investigations. And I, I wonder, do you have the impression that the, the way this uh, disinformation or fake information uh, spread has changed dramatically over the you know the, those those two last uh, decades or so. Of course, it has changed. Uh, the, 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 the technological advancements, the, pervas the, the pervas pervasive nature of the internet. Of course, it has changed. Everything has become so much easier. You know, putting uh, a fake piece of information on on a website for somebody who knows how to operate these things is really simple. Yeah, twenty years ago, you dealt with uh, printed records. Yeah, with with articles um, whose reach was much more narrow. Yeah, I mean, there was a certain number of copies printed, and that was it. Um, now you're dealing with different jurisdictions, with different media. Uh, yeah, it, it has changed completely. And you also have some very far-flung corners such as dark web, you know, where information is not as available as if simply uh, putting it into a Google um, search engine. So it's a constant challenge, and it's a challenge that's getting more and more complicated um, every day. Uh, but uh, I still do think that um, nothing can beat um, expertise um, of a of a human <laughs> who knows um, the, the the country and their the context that they're looking at. And on this uh, rather optimistic note, I thank you, Vlada, for joining me today, and I wish you a very nice rest of your day. Thank you.